Welcome to Southern Illinois Worship Center. Today, you'll be hearing a powerful message from our latest series. Let's listen in now. We're in a series called The Four C's. Last week, we talked about conflict. And so I want to ask you today, how many of you are in a conflict right now? You are in a conflict in your health or a conflict in your finances, a conflict in your family, a conflict in your faith, conflict in your mind. If you're in conflict today, then I want to teach you something today that will help you in your conflict. And we're going to cover a word today. One of the C's is the word covenant. God made a covenant for us and it helps us deal with the areas that the enemy creates conflict into our lives. So we're going to go into the word covenant. Uh, I'm going to teach you some things today. And the most important part of the service has already happened. Worship. Here's why. God knew what I was going to say because God gave it to me. What God didn't know is what you were going to say in worship. And when we're in worship, just like we were when we begin to sing, he's worthy of our praise, he's worthy of our worship, he's worthy of our song. God inhabits the praises of his people. I understand you have God on the inside of you, but there's something dynamic that happens when we begin to worship and praise God and God's glory and God's presence becomes to be evident in God's house. And it happens during worship. Because he already knows what I'm getting ready to say because it's his word and he already downloaded it to me so much so that I could write it down. But when his glory begins to come into the church service, he has no idea what you're going to say. And so when we say, I'm going to bless you when I'm broke, I'm going to bless you when I'm whole, I'm going to bless you in the mountaintop, I'm going to bless you in the valley low, I'm going to bless you at the funeral home, I'm going to bless you in the hospital room, God begins to inhabit those praises because the enemy was trying to tell you to curse God and die, but you begin to worship God and begin to live. And that's why worship is the most important part of the church service because God likes that when you respond to him so if you have a Bible today we're going to be in probably in Luke 22 a lot of today and then we're also going to be in Genesis chapter 15 and uh, talking about the word covenant Luke 22 where we come up with communion and then Genesis chapter 15 which is where the Lord makes a covenant with Abram or Abraham as you might know him so while you turn to Luke 22 and then throw a finger into Genesis chapter 15, let me just kind of give you some background to covenant. Dating all the way back to the time of Genesis 15, of the time of Abram, covenants were a common aspect of life. They were made on a regular basis, daily, monthly, yearly. They were made all the time. They were used as business contracts, treaties, legislative decisions, legal decisions, they were made between individuals, between tribes, between nations. They were used to bring protection, to bring strength, to bring prosperity. And in these covenant agreements, almost always, as they begin to enter into this covenant agreement, somebody would ask one of their deities, whether it be pagan or whether it be God Almighty, they would ask one of their deities to be a witness to the agreement. We still do it. We stand in front of a courtroom and we make an oath and we say, so help me God, making God the witness of what we just swore to. We make covenants and contracts all the time. How many of you have a cell phone? How many of you read the covenant or the contract that you made with T-Mobile, Verizon? How many of you have Facebook? How many of you have read the terms of agreement of Facebook? I doubt many of you have ever done it. How many of you have read the Bible? That's the terms of agreement of God's contract with us. It's a covenant agreement. And so they bring a deity or God into it to witness the agreement. And then they would say, as this, the witness would be, they would say, all right, there's going to be a blessing upon those who would keep it. There would be a curse upon those who would break it. So God chose a covenant or an agreement to utilize and tell his people how serious he was 
about his word to them. They knew what it meant. I don't know if we really understand all that goes into a covenant, but in Abram's day, it was so common that Abram knew exactly what God was saying when God said, I will come into a covenant with you. And so God employed a cultural practice to introduce his covenant with man. By doing this, it began to speak volumes to the people who understood the power of covenant. And it revealed to them how serious God was about his relationship, about his commitment, and about God's faithfulness to them. And it showed them the aspects and what God expects out of his people who are then in turn coming into covenant with him. There is an expectation of God on us when we enter into covenant. We are to leave those things which are behind and we are to press forward to those things that are ahead. There is an expectation that God has for us. Be holy for I am holy. Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. There is an expectation on us. So in other words, you can't live like you've always been living when you come into covenant relationship with God. You can't stay the same person that you were when you come into covenant relationship with God. There is an expectation. We expect God to do something. And then we say there's no expectation on us. But if we expect God to do something, then there is an expectation on our part from God. So in Luke chapter 22, verses 19 and 20, this is Jesus. He's sitting at a table with his disciples. We went over this a little bit last week. And here he takes bread, Genesis, or Luke 22, verses 19 through 20. And he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Now, if you have your finger in Genesis chapter 15, I'm just going to read just a couple of verses to you. And while you're turning to Genesis chapter 15, let me just give you the definition of what we just read there, covenant. It simply means an agreement between two parties that specifies requirements for at least one of the parties and includes blessing and curses for obedience and for failure. How many of you have ever bought a car? You sign a contract and you're saying the dealership, all the dealership has to do is provide the car. You now are committing that you will pay for the car. You will take care of the car. You will insure the car. In the great state of Illinois, you will license and pay taxes on the car. You will register it every year. And this is your commitment. So we come into agreement or a contract that spells out what is required of both parties or of just one party. So in Genesis chapter 15, this is a man by the name of Abram and his wife, Sarai. And they are having a conversation with God. And in verse 1, it says, And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid. Abram, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one will come from your own body who shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And Abram, he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land. And Abram said, after all this wonderful experience with God, Abram said, how will I know? How will I know that I'm going to inherit everything you just said I'm going to inherit? Now, we're in church, so you have to be honest. How many of you, God has made a promise to you? And after he has showed you everything that he has promised you, 
you have stepped back and said, I have faith. And then ask God, but how? How will I know that you're going to keep your promise? And the rest of Genesis chapter 15 is God showing Abram how he would know that he was going to do what he said he was going to do. How many of you need to know that God is going to do what he said he's going to do? You're in covenant with God. Now, in Galatians chapter 3, you don't have to turn here. It says there that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us, it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. That's us. That the blessing of, the, uh, blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So everything that God blessed Abraham with, Jesus wanted to bless you with. And then we would have to say, how do we know that what the blessing of Abraham was is the same blessing that I get? How do I know? So I want to take you through the 10 steps of what a covenant agreement or a covenant ceremony would be if you and I were standing right now with God and you and God were getting ready to come into a covenant agreement, what that would look like. First of all, PETA would be here because we're going to have animal sacrifices. There's going to be blood, so the CDC would be here. There would be all kinds of people who would doubt exactly what's getting ready to happen because the unbelievers would be here. And the super spiritual would be here saying, you don't need to do all that stuff. But God has come into covenant agreement with you. And what does that mean when God comes into covenant agreement with you? So in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham said, how will I know? In Genesis 15 verse 18, it says, on the same day. The Lord made a covenant with Abram. The Lord came into an agreement. He signed a contract with Abram and he said, here's how you will know. And Abram would have definitely known exactly what God was talking about. Because in his day, covenant contracts were normal. He understood the whole process. So when God is using a cultural practice to show Abram, this is how serious I am about the blessing I just pronounced over you, that you're going to be blessed and you're going to have a child, you're going to have an heir. This is the, all the blessings I have for you. And Abraham said, how will I know? God said, all right, I'll take your practice and I'll come into your practice, your culture, and I'll utilize something that your culture does to show you just how serious I am about what, I'm, what I've said to you. And the first step, and Abram would know this, the first step of a cultural agreement or this ceremony would be an exchange of outer garments. They would take off each other's robes. I would take off my robe and I would give it to the other party. And then that other party would take off their robe and they would give it to me. It was an exchange of an outer garment. And this exchange of robes would symbolize that each person is putting on the other person. You'll be identifying with that other person. So let's just say you come into agreement with Joseph. And Joseph took off his coat of many colors. And he put his coat of many colors on you. So from a long ways off, as you're walking towards your enemy, your enemy is identifying you, not as you, but identifying you as Joseph because they see the coat before they see the person. So it's just an exchange, and it symbolizes that putting on of one another, or two becoming one. And it's speaking that when we come into covenant, I'm giving all that I have to him, and he is giving all that he has to me. It implies that that person who is exchanging the robe is giving all of their assets and their liabilities to the other person. How would you like that? Let's come into covenant contract. I'm going to give you all of my assets and oh yeah, I'm going to give you all of my liabilities too. Here's the beautiful thing about coming into covenant contract with God. You get to give God everything that you have. 
All of your assets and all of your liabilities. All your good stuff and all your bad stuff. You get to give God all your strengths and you get to give God all your weaknesses. And in turn, God gives you all that he has and God has no liabilities. God has no bad stuff. God has no debt. God has no sickness. God only has good. So I don't understand why people want to hang on to their robe and not exchange it for the robe that God has for us, right? Because the scripture tells us in Zechariah that we are all dressed in filthy rags. I don't care how nice you look today. When you, it's you, it's a filthy rag. But there is an exchange. He said, if you give me your filthy rags, I'll take the filth, the dirt, and the grime, but I'm going to give you a robe of righteousness to put you in good standing so that when the enemy sees you afar off, he doesn't see you in your filthy rags. He sees you in the robe of righteousness, and he's not identifying you as you, but he sees Jesus instead of you. That's what covenant contract means. An exchange. And it signifies when you have this robe on and you now have the robe of the person you're coming into agreement with, it signifies a new position. It signifies new character. And it signifies new authority. I couldn't tell anything what to do when I was in a filthy garment. But now that I am in right standing with God, I have a new position where I am now seated in heavenly places. I have new character and I have new authority. For all authority has been given to us. An exchange of robes. The Bible speaks clearly that he who knew no sin, he became sin. He took my coat, my liabilities, and did an exchange i got this robe of righteousness. So he's now sin, crucified because of it. And now, because I'm in covenant with him, I am in right standing with God. I received a new position, new character, and new authority. I received all of God's assets because it has been an exchange in covenant relationship with him. And the second part of this would be an exchange. They would exchange robes. And then the second thing they would do is they would exchange belts. We're not going to do this today. They would exchange belts. See, belts in our day are decoration or to keep our pants up. Belts in that day had a different meaning. We would call them a girdle. And they were utilized not to hold their pants up, but to hold their weapons. It was a signal of power. And so we get, a, we get a new robe, right standing, new character, new position, new authority. And now there is an exchange of belts. I'm going to take my belt off and I'm going to give you all of my weaponry and all of my strength of my belt and you're going to give me your belt. So now you've got a new robe and now we're going to exchange belts and I'm going to, in giving you my belt. I'm going to give you all of my fighting instruments and it signifies now that I'm giving you my strength. You're going to give me your belt and I'm going to take my belt off and I'm going to give it to you. I'm signifying now that my strength is now your strength. In areas where you once were weak, now you have my belt on and because you now have my belt on, you have different fighting instruments than you ever had before. So now you have strength that you never knew you had now because you're carrying somebody else's belt it's a sign of strength they take that belt they'd exchange it my strength is now your strength my resources are now your resources how many of y'all when you came to Christ you had some resources none of us and then when we got saved all of a sudden we received a robe and we received a belt. We can go through Ephesians chapter 6. We received a belt. We received some resources that we never had before because now we are in a contract with God. He knew you didn't have a strength, but when yet you were out with strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. You didn't have any strength, but now he gives you his instruments of war and says, my strength is now your strength. My resources are now your resources. Listen, we we can't heal anybody, but we've now been given the resources to lay hands on the sick and watch them recover. That's called covenant relationship. 
Then they would exchange, they exchanged robes, they exchanged belts. Number three, they would exchange weapons or swords. I gave you my belt, it carried my instruments, but now I want to make sure you have something to fight with. Wouldn't it be crazy if God gave us, gave us a belt and a sheath, but did not give us a weapon? You have everything you need to carry a weapon, but I'm just not going to give you a weapon. No, no. The third thing was, I'm going to give you my sword. I'm going to give you my weapon. And what this would say in that culture was this. Your battle is now my battle. Your fight is now my fight. So when the enemy comes towards you, when he comes towards you, he's also coming against me. Your battle is now my battle. So when disease comes against you, yes, that's your battle, but it's also my battle. This is what the Lord is saying to his people. When the enemy comes in to battle you, he has to realize that the battle against you is also a battle against the one who you are in covenant with in your life or maybe we should put it more like this it's the Lord saying they have to go through me to get to you so when the enemy comes in like a flood the spirit of the Lord raises up a standard against him why because to get to you he has to go through him because now there has been an exchange of weapons and what are weapons for? Now, I know what we do in America now, right? We show off our knives. We show off our weapons. Like, look, look. No, but weapons are actually designed to defeat enemies. A weapon is designed to defeat an enemy. You have a weapon in your hand. You have a weapon on your phone. You have a weapon that's bound between two leather covers. You have a weapon. It is not here to show off how much you know about it. A weapon is designed to defeat an enemy. So what you can quote it and you know it, but do you use it? Because he's given you the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God to defeat your enemies. Not only is that weapon saying they have to go through me to get to you, but it's also saying we've exchanged swords. We're also exchanging enemies. My enemy is now your enemy, and your enemy is now my enemy. Before the cross, man's greatest enemy was death. And Jesus took our enemy because our enemy, death was not a threat to him. He is eternal. But he took our enemy as his enemy and he defeated death, hell, and the grave. So we had an exchange of enemies. So us Christians should not be sitting around preoccupied with death. We worried about when we're going to die. When are we going to die? And we're so preoccupied with death that we have forgotten to live. We have forgotten to be bold in our strength because the enemy tells us that death is still our enemy. No, 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 no. We exchanged enemies. And who was the greatest enemy of Jesus? It was Satan. Your enemy is Satan. He defeated your enemy. Now it's our job to defeat his enemy and give no place to the devil. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's our job now. Our enemy is Satan. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. These rulers of darkness. That's our enemy. It's not the person next to you. That's because the enemy wants you to misappropriate your faith onto somebody else instead of against him. So if he can lie to you and tell you that death is your greatest enemy, then you'll stay in your house, in the security of your home, because death is now your greatest enemy. The enemy has lied to you. He, the devil, Lucifer, is your greatest enemy. That's why we can say, greater is he that is within me than he that is in the world. And if God be for me, who can be against me? 
Because God and I are fighting the same enemy. So Jesus defeated it. Now we must move beyond it. And so we can read Ephesians chapter 6 verse 13. Therefore take up the whole armor of God. An exchange of weapons. Belts. That you may be able, be able to withstand in the evil day. What is that saying? It doesn't say that, hey, when things get evil, you're going to fail. If you had your own belt and your own weapons, absolutely. But now you take up the whole armor of who? Of God. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. How are you able to withstand? You have the armor of God. There's been an exchange. And having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Belt. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, taking the shield of faith, which with, with, with which you will be able to quench. That's a lot of witches in there. All the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And praying always with all prayer and supplication in English. In the spirit. Being watchful to this sin with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly. Why? I can speak boldly because I have the armor of God on in my life. So they would exchange robes, exchange belts, exchange weapons. And then they would come to a sacrificial animal or a sacrifice had to be made. Some blood somewhere had to be shed. You can read Hebrews chapter 10 and Genesis chapter 15. So in the covenant ceremony, blood had to be shed. So some people would call this the cutting of the covenant. They would take an animal. They would take that animal. They would kill the animal. They would divide the animal in half, cut it right down the middle. They then would lay the two halves of the animal blood side up. Put one side of the animal here, blood side up. Put the other side of the animal on this side, blood side up. See, a lot of people want to hide the blood. But in the covenant, you lay the blood side up. I am not who I am because of anything I've done. I am only here because the blood of Jesus has washed me and made me clean. And I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus because of the blood. See, a lot of folks, we get good with God and then we want to turn the blood down. Once you turn the blood down, you're out of covenant with God. And there's a whole lot of people who continue to turn the blood down. I don't need the blood. You can't preach about the blood. Don't talk about the blood. Don't teach about the blood. Take the blood out of the church. No, we need to get the blood back in the church and get it blood side up again. Once they cut the animal in half, I mean, there were some large animals cut in half. Two heifers. That's cows. You're listening. That's good. Two cows. They lay, the Bible says heifers, by the way. They lay one side of that cow on this side and the other side of the cow on this side. That's a lot of blood. <laughs> it still takes a lot of blood. And so then they would stand near the open sacrifice. They would stand near the sacrifice. There's a whole lot of people who want to stand away from the sacrifice. But if you're in covenant agreement, you stand near the cross. You stand near Jesus. You got to get close to Jesus, right? You're wearing his robe. You got his belt on and you're using his weapons. I think you already identify as a Jesus follower. So why don't you just get near to Jesus? Because you dress like him. You probably should talk like him. Said so he would stand near. Blood's being shed. Why is blood so important? Well, blood represents life. The commingling of blood or of two people's blood creates a unique union. We can call that marriage. It is the commingling of two people's inner parts to bring them together. It's getting tired in here. So the individuals who stand near. And this blood is bonding them together as one. And God initiated this in the old covenant. The shedding of blood of innocent animals. So when Israel would sin, they needed to make atonement for their sins. To satisfy the demands of justice for the wrongs that they have done. The guilty person, the transgressor, the sinner would present an innocent animal. 
who was then sacrificed, his blood was shed, and they were paying the price now for the transgression or the, the, for the transgressor. They're now presenting a sacrifice. Thank God we don't have to do this in the new covenant because we would all be bringing in here a busload of animals for all the things we said on Facebook this week. Now we have a sacrifice. One side is over here. One side is over here. And now we're standing near to the sacrifice. Now we come into the fifth step of what this known as the, the, this covenant ceremony. And it's called the death walk. And the death walk would mean that the two parties who were going to involve themselves in the covenant. We now have shed blood. And now we are not going to just stand near the sacrifice, but we're now going to walk through the blood and we're going to walk through the sacrifice. And normally historians say they would walk in the figure eight around the two sacrifices. Eight meaning the number of a new beginning. So at this covenant and at this contract and at this agreement, the sacrifice has been made. And now I'm getting ready to walk through the blood. And as I walk through the blood, I am now going to be in a new agreement. Something new is happening. I'm going to become a new creature in Christ. Christ Jesus. Why? Because I'm making a death walk through the blood of Jesus. I'm walking through the sacrifice. I was near the cross, but I don't want to just be near the cross. I want to go through the blood so I come out the other side into something new into my life. The death walk. And so as these representatives would walk through, they would make a commitment. And historians say the commitment was something to the effect of this. They would say as they walk through this, if I do not keep this covenant, let me wind up exactly like this animal has wound up. If I don't keep my end of the agreement, let me die as this animal has died. That's a pretty serious commitment. The death walk. So let it be done unto me as has been done to this sacrifice. May I just die like they have died. And once the death walk has been entered into, there is no recourse. Once the death walk, once you walk through the blood, there is no way to cancel the agreement. Say, no, I changed my mind. It's the wrong color. The worship's too different. The prayer language is too different. Once you enter in through the blood, there is no recourse. You are covered by the blood. <laughs> So once you took a vow and did the death walk, you're in covenant. Jeremiah chapter 34 and verse 18 gives us a good idea of this. And the Lord said, I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant, who have not performed the words of the covenant, which they made before me. When they cut the calf in two and they passed between the parts of it. God said, I heard what you said when you were walking through the blood. I heard it. And you have not kept your end of the bargain up. And you have transgressed against me. I remember what you said. You remember the scripture? Let your words be few. Because if you make a vow to God, you need to keep that vow. For it would have been better for you to not have vowed the vow than to vow the vow and not keep the vow. Why? Because you've now entered into an agreement with God. So all of us that have said, God, if you'll do this, I will do this. Then when God does that, you better make sure you do what you told God you were going to do. Because there's some sort of expectation on us. I'll live for you, God. I'll worship you, God. I'll do this if you do this. And God's saying, I remember what you said when you made the when the covenant was cut and you passed between the parts of it and you said that. I remember that. And God says that when you transgress, when you sin, when you miss the mark, you're not keeping up your end of the agreement. Then Genesis chapter 15, verse 17 is another great example of this. It came to pass when the sun went down. And it was dark that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. The, the smoking oven and the burning torch are the representations of God showing up. And what's he doing? He's making the death walk between the two parts of the animal that has been sacrificed. God is now coming into agreement that this is what I said I'm going to do and I'm going to do it. 
and I will die if I don't keep my end of the bargain. Now, just for your own study, you can go find out whether Abram actually walked through that sacrifice. Because the scripture says that Abram had a deep sleep fall on him. Why would that happen? Let me just give you my thoughts on it just for a moment. These aren't in my notes, just a little appetizer for you. Because God knew that if Abram walked through that covenant and Abram said, let it be done unto me as it's been done unto that sacrifice, God knew that if Abraham broke his end of the agreement that God would have to kill him. And God has no desire to kill you. God has every desire to bless you. So he put Abraham to sleep and said, listen, I don't even need you to be another party to this agreement. You just go ahead and go to sleep and I'm going to take care of my end of the bargain and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to keep you and I'm going to be with you and I'm going to walk with you because Abram, if you make a vow to me and you don't keep it I got to keep my end of the bargain so Abram you just go off to sleep and let a sweet rest come upon you and I'm going to be working while you're asleep so this whole process we're in step five this whole process we're in five steps into it and it's just God responding to Abram's question and Abram's question was how will I know that you will fulfill this promise that you made. And God said, all right, go get some animals, cut them in half. Let's make a death walk through it. Let's, let's exchange robes, exchange belts. Let's exchange instruments. Let's just do this. But we're going to get it. And so they're going through the death walk. And God's responding to Abram's question of how will I know that you're going to keep my promise. And God said, I'll come into covenant with you. I'll take your practice of what you guys do on the earth. And I'll come into agreement with you. This is the same agreement Jesus made in, their, in the garden. Right? We say, how do I know that my sins are forgiven? Well, God comes in the covenant, right? Jesus said, this is the new covenant of my blood, which is shed for you. In Matthew 26, it says that Jesus went a little farther. He fell on his face and he prayed saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. What is that cup? It's the cup of the covenant. I, I know I got to walk through this. I really don't want to walk through this because I know once I begin this walk, there is no coming back from this covenant. And so what did he do after he got done praying? He was led up to Golgotha and there the Christ was crucified. There's no coming back from this treaty that God has made with mankind that if you will repent of your sins, you will walk through the blood and God will never reverse that thing in your life because you're in covenant contract with God so Jesus is agreeing right here Matthew 26 I'll cut the covenant I'll be the sacrifice I'll be the mediator our scripture says that Jesus is the intercessor which means Jesus is in the middle he's in the middle of it he is the sacrifice, but he's also the mediator of the sacrifice. He's the intercessor of the covenant. In other words, he's saying, I will take up the middle ground. You don't have to worry about a thing. You can't die and resurrect yourself. So you all just go to sleep right there, and I'm going to make a sacrifice. There will just be a covenant that's one-sided here. Because I know you can't keep up your end of the bargain, so I'm just going to take care of it for all of us. It's, right? How do we know this? When Jesus had given up the ghost, he said these words, it is finished. It's over. It's done. It's complete. We call it the completed work of Christ. It's over. There was nothing that you and I did. It was a one-sided covenant agreement with Jesus Christ. And he said, it is finished. It's over. I have completed it. Now, all you have to do to enter into that agreement is just give me your heart. After the death walk, a covenant mark would be made. A mark would be made. That's number six. A mark would be made. You can read all the text that I gave you there. In Genesis chapter 17, it says, This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and your descendants. After you, every male child among you shall be circumcised. What is circumcision? Circumcision is the mark of the covenant. It's a cut on the flesh that says, I am now in covenant with somebody else. So once the death walk had been made, a covenant mark would then be the next step of it. And they would traditionally raise their right arms and they would often either cut the palm or make a slight cut on the wrist. And then after cutting their palms or their wrist, they would then join 
the area that was bleeding together to commingle the blood. People say, oh, that is so weird. You do it at communion every time. You're taking the blood of Jesus and you're commingling it with you. Why? Because we're in covenant relationship with him. The two becoming one. So they would take their blood, they would commingle that blood together, and some people would then say, this undying allegiance, I have made a mark, I am totally sold out to you, I am, my, my loyalty belongs to you. That is what we're saying when we take the mark of the covenant with Jesus Christ. We're saying Jesus is Lord. What we're saying is my undying allegiance, my only, uh, my only loyalty belongs to you, Lord. There's nothing above you. There's nothing beside you. Everything I have is towards you. So my worship and my praise is only to the one that I'm in covenant with. I'm, my allegiance is to you, Jesus. So they raised that right arm. Undying allegiance. The mark was made. We're becoming one with each other. Intermingling the blood. Intermingling the very life of both people. And in making the mark, there, the mark was there to identify that you were in covenant relationship with another individual. So that mark or the scar was an outward evidence of a covenant that was made between somebody, two parties that was done in private. But now you have a mark that is an outward sign of a private decision. We made a decision to follow Jesus. Now there must be an outward sign that we are in covenant relationship with God. They would slit those wrists or they would put that or cut their palms. So we can go with this either way. But most people would say that when Jesus was crucified, we use this term and the nails went through his hands. But they tell us that his hands could not support the weight. So most people say that the nail didn't go through the palm of the hand. The nail went through the wrist. But in that culture, the wrist and the hand were all called the hand. So regardless if it's in the palm of the hand or in the wrist, this is the mark of the covenant that God has made with you, right? Thomas said, I'm doubting, I'm doubting. And what did Jesus say? Jesus didn't say, let's go back to the cross. Jesus said, hey, why don't you put your hands into the mark of the covenant and then you'll know that what I have done here is what you actually expected. And what did Thomas do? He said, my Lord and my God. He never got his hand into the covenant mark. All he had to do was see the covenant mark and he realized that it was true of everything that Jesus had said to him. Now, let me just say to you, if we were coming into a literal uh, little co covenant with Christ, we would cut our, our hand or our wrist, and then we would commingle the blood. Then they would take dirt, and they would rub it into that place so that there would be a scar that was noticeable from afar. So now listen, when I'm walking towards you, you can't see that I'm in covenant with anybody. My hands are down, my wrists and the palms of my hand are hidden. But if I throw my hands up at you, and if I wave at you or I lift my hand towards you then all of a sudden you see that I'm in covenant relationship with somebody who's bigger and badder than you are and so when we come into worship and we begin to wave our hands in praise all of a sudden all of hell recognizes that we are in covenant relationship with God and if you mess with me you mess with him you mess with my family you mess with him I am in covenant relationship with God. And my enemies are his enemies. And my battle is his battle. And my fight is his fight. So a lot of us like to walk around in church like this. And I think it's time we let the devil know that right here in southern Illinois, we are in covenant with Christ. That's why when we're in church and our hands are lifted up, we can say no weapon that is formed against me shall prosper. And every lying tongue shall be put under our feet. Why? Because we're operating in covenant relationship at that point. 
So after they would make the mark, there would be a pronouncement. Everybody good? I'm preaching longer than I intended. There would be, after they would make the mark, they would do, then do what was called the pronouncement of blessings and curses. So the parties, after they had done the death walk, they make the mark, they're taking the blood, making all the sacrifice. In the middle of the sacrifice, the two parties would stand there and they would declare in the middle of the sacrifice the blessings and the curses that would be involved if you keep this covenant or if you break this covenant. Right there in the middle of the sacrifices. And the blessings could include, hey, you're going to have a great harvest. You're going to be in prosperity. You're going to be in good health. You're going to have children beyond your imagination. I don't know how that's a blessing sometimes, but that's what they would do in the scripture. You're going to have numerous offspring. Or they could say, if you break this, there's going to be retaliation. There's going to be destruction. There's going to be poverty. There's going to be disease. There's going to be famine. There's going to be school shootings. There's going to be abortion. There's going to be high gas prices. There's going to be inflation. There's going to be all these things because now you have broken the agreement that we made when we founded this nation that this nation would be under God and indivisible Meaning it cannot be divided away from the agreement that God made with us when this nation was founded. And so try as we might in the natural to fix the problem. You cannot fix a natural problem without a spiritual solution. And the church has got to lead this nation back to its moral underpinnings which are found with the exchange of weapons. The word of God. You can go read Deuteronomy chapters 27 through 32. Presents a clear picture. God's reminding them of the blessings of obedience and the cost of disobedience. The tribes of Israel split into two camps, six on one side, six on another. And the men of God in the middle saying, if you keep this, this is the blessing. And then the other side would say, this is the curse. And then they would say, amen. I mean, let it be so, let it be done. If we don't do this, let that be done. If we do this, let that be done. So after Jesus' decision in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is hung on a middle cross. A thief on either side of him, who's in the middle? A mediator. You have one who's going to receive a blessing and one who's going to receive a curse based on what they did with the man in the middle. Because he's now represented there and how you handle the man in the middle, in the middle of the sacrifice, depends on whether or not you get a blessing or you get a curse. And as he's there, Jesus begins to, in the middle of the sacrifice, Jesus begins to say some things. Matter of fact, it's recorded. He said seven things. He said seven pronouncements, seven God's perfect number. Now, we just think some of these things were just aimless of what he's saying. But on the back of your sheet, I'm just going to give you all seven of them, of the seven things that Jesus said. And the first thing he said, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. What does Jesus say? He's saying, all right, in the middle of this sacrifice, they're, they're, they're committing some sins, but here's the blessing. The blessing of the new covenant is that there is forgiveness of sins, even if you don't know what you've been doing. As you were born in sin. You didn't even know what you were doing. But now, because we're in the new covenant, some folks had broke the covenant. But now that you're under the new covenant, there is forgiveness. And I don't have to kill you because there's forgiveness of your sins. So, Father, forgive them. Number two, he said to the thief on the right, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. So, because of this covenant... They may be taking your natural life, but my friend, there is eternal life. 
<laughs> they may be killing you naturally, but you're coming alive spiritually. And before that, death was an enemy. But now he said today, not tomorrow, but today, right now, there is eternal life for you. Then the third thing he said, he looks down at his mother. He says, woman, behold thy son. Man, and when some of us came to Christ, we lost our families. But now we are a part of the family of God. We get a new family. We get new brothers, new sisters. We have fathers to the fatherless and mothers to the mothers. Why? Because when he's hanging on the cross, he said a part of this covenant is you're going to get some new sons and you're going to get some new daughters and you're going to have a new family. You never need to be lonely in the family of God. Then he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? How many of you have ever felt forsaken? What he's saying here is that there is redemption from the curse. We once were not a people, meaning we once were forsaken, but now we're no longer not a people, but now we are a chosen generation. We are a holy nation. We are a royal priesthood and a peculiar people. We have been redeemed from the curse of the law and no longer forsaken, but now engrafted in and now are the sons of God. Not forsaken. Then he says, I thirst. What did he tell the woman at the well? Oh, you thirst. But if you drink from what I have for you to give, you will never thirst again. You'll never thirst again. So he went through thirstiness so that you would never be thirsty. I thirst. Number six, he said, it is finished. It's grace being unleashed because as soon as he said it is finished, the veil was rent from the top to the bottom so that we could enter in to the holies of holies. Before we were not able to get there because why? We had the wrong garments on. We didn't have the right robe. And so when we walked up to the holies of holies, we were identified as a stranger. But now when we walk up to the holies of holies, we're a son of God. Why? Because I'm dressed like my daddy. I talk like my daddy. I got the weapons of my daddy. I got the, the, the belt of my daddy. I got the sacrifice of my daddy. I got the name of my daddy. I got everything. So what right do you have to come in? I've got Jesus, and that's all the right that I need. Number seven, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. In other words, this sacrifice is over, and now because I have finished the death walk, the covenant and the blessings of this covenant are now secured. And there is nothing that hell can do to stop this covenant. How do I know that? Because once you walk through the blood, there is no breaking of the covenant. So try as the devil might to tell you that there is no forgiveness of sins. I come to tell you that Jesus can wash away sin stain out of your life. Why? Because the blessings and the covenant are secured. I got to hurry. Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 through 14. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham. What are those blessings? Those seven things he just said. You're going to have redemption. You're going to be a part of the kingdom of God. You're going to have grace. You're going to have access. You never thirst again. And the covenant is secured. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit. That's what he did. Let me keep moving. Number eight. Number seven. Pronouncement of blessing and curse. Number eight. They would have a covenant meal. We're going to get much more into this next week. A covenant meal. We call it communion. We're going to take communion next week. Because next week we're going to talk about communion and a call. And the call to communion. The call to communion and the covenant meal is to call you out of a grave to a table. Because we were dead in sin. But when Jesus called our name, we came out of the grave of sin to sit at a table to have a meal with Jesus. That's next week. Covenant meal, number nine. After they had a covenant meal, they would exchange their names. 
Genesis chapter 15, it was Abram and it was Sarai. After God comes into covenant with them, there's an exchange of name. Because God, Yahweh, take a little bit of his name and inserted the Yah into Abraham. And Abraham was no longer Abram, but he now carries a part of the name of God. And he is now Abraham. And after this covenant, God is not known just as Yahweh, but he is known henceforth as the God of Abraham. And they begin to exchange their names. We come into the New Testament, right? Jesus says, I am the son of man. He took on the title of man. And now because there is an exchange. And when you become a born again believer, not of the man, but of the Savior, you no longer are identified as you as you are. We now become Christians. We become Christians. We take on the name of Christ. Because there is an exchange of names that begins to happen. And then when we get to heaven, there is a new name written down in glory an exchange of names then the last one is there's an exchange of the firstborn or the eldest son Abram is now required because of a covenant it didn't shock him that God would ask him for Isaac for three days He's on a march to take Isaac, his son, to offer his son as a sacrifice. He's going to be an exchange. God said, no, we don't want to do that. There's a, there's a lamb over here. Why? Because Hebrews says that in his mind, Abraham knew that his son was dead already. Because he says, if the Lord, the Lord would resurrect him, meaning I already know he's dead. Why? Because there's going to be an exchange. And here's what John 3.16 says. For God so loved the world... That he gave out of covenant agreement. That he gave his only, meaning his eldest, only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but would have everlasting life. An exchange of the eldest sons. Now some people say, you know what, after this whole thing was over, there, there was a way to, to commemorate it. You can study it out if you like. And I told the staff this the other day, I can preach it either way you want to go. I can talk about the firstborn son and that being the last step of it. But most people say that wasn't the last step of it. They say after they exchanged sons, they needed something to commemorate the moment. So they would plant a tree. And I said, well, that's fine and dandy if that's what they did. Because God, when the moment was over and he exchanged his firstborn son, there was a tree planted there. And we still go back to the cross, the tree of Calvary, to remind ourselves of the covenant that God has made with us. So every time time you think my goodness there's no hope for me just go back to the tree and the tree will remind you of all of these things that God has given to you out of the covenant the agreement so how do I know how do I know that God will keep his end of the bargain I just only have to go look at the tree and when I look at the tree I see the mark I see the blood I see the sacrifice, I see the weapons, I see his belt, I see his robe, and I carry his name, a name that when mentioned, every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that he is Lord. And here's why I want to close. Ten steps, ten divine government, ten steps to a covenant. In Genesis chapter 22 and verse 17, the Lord is speaking to Abram again. He says, blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants, your descendants, and we have the blessing of Abraham, so now we are descendant. We've been grafted in. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. Now, I don't know if that really speaks to you, but maybe it will when we go to Matthew chapter 16. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, who do they say the Son of Man is? He uses the title as identifying with men. I'm going to share my name with you. I'm the Son of Man. He said, who do they say 
the son of man is. And some said, well, they say you're Jeremiah because you weep over the city. Some people say you're Elijah because you prophesy with fire. Some people say you're this and some people say, but no, no, no. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Barjona said, thou art the Christ. You're not just a man. You're the covenant. You're the Christ. And he said, flesh and blood has not revealed these things to you, but you've been revealed this from heaven. And so upon this rock, Petra, I will build this church, my church. Now that you have identified who I am, and we're now identifying with each other, you're now a descendant. And here's what he says. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against what? Against this revelation that you and I are in covenant with each other. And because now you have a revelation that you and I are in agreement with each other, that your enemy is now my enemy, and your your battle is now my battle, and my strength is now your strength, and your weaknesses are now my problem, and you now carry my name, you are a descendant, and the gates shall not prevail against you. You have the authority. Why? Because you have a new position, you have new character and new authority and the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. Why? Because he gave you the keys to those gates. And you can control what comes in and what goes out. You have control over your life, your health, your mind, your home, your family, over your city, over your state and over your nation. So stop fighting fights that have already been fought and start taking the gates of the city. The gates of hell shall not prevail against you. So you can walk boldly. Why? Because the gates will never prevail against you. And gates don't move, folks. That means we are marching towards the enemy's camp to take back what is rightfully ours. Our homes, our families, our marriages, our finances, our nation, our state, every area that the enemy has been stealing from, you need to walk boldly. Why? Because when I start walking towards the gates, the enemy doesn't say, here comes Jason. He sees my coat, my belt, my weapons, my name, and my covenant. And he says, oh my goodness, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against him. Why? Because the person I'm in covenant with has already conquered death, hell, and the grave. So just in a moment, we're going to have you stand. And if you're in this room and you're saying, how will I know? Let me just take you to the cross. At the cross... At the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burdens of my heart were rolled away. And it was there, by faith, that I received my sight. And now, I am happy all the day. Why would we do that at the cross? Because it is the sign of God's covenant into our life. And when we look at the cross, it is not a minus sign. It is a plus sign. And so when I get to the cross, I remember that all these things shall be added unto you. Whatever you have need of, it can be found at the cross. In the covenant that God has with you. So if you're in this place and you are in a battle. You need to give that battle to the Lord. If you're in doubt. You need to give that doubt to the Lord. If you're in weakness. You need to give that weakness to the Lord. And when you give him your battle. When you give him your weakness, he makes an exchange with you. And for your weakness, he will give you strength. For your disease, he will give you healing. For your bondage, he will give you freedom. I think we need to make an exchange.
We made an agreement. And he made an agreement. And he's keeping his. Will you keep yours? And give him the areas of your life that he needs to take control of. Thank you for listening today. Be sure to check out our podcast weekly, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also visit siwcenter.org to find out more information about Southern Illinois Worship Center. Be sure to join us right here next week.